This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And tonight on the show, I speak with Sarah Histand, who recently completed another three-week traverse of the Brooks Range above the Arctic Circle in northern Alaska. Sarah is a native Alaskan who has done multiple pack rafting and backpacking trips across the Brooks Range and throughout the state. And in the show, she's going to talk tonight about the logistics of the trip, including trailheads, resupply, the wildlife, and how to maintain communications across this vast wilderness that stretches around 700 miles across northern Alaska and into Canada's Yukon Territory. Sarah is also a personal trainer, so we talk about the importance of preparing your body for the backcountry, some common injuries that hikers and backpackers face, and simple exercises that you can do, regardless of your age, to better prepare for your next multi-day backpacking trip. Here's episode 78. All right, this is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Sarah Histan to the show this evening. Sarah is a hiker, a backpacker, and a personal fitness trainer who recently returned from a multi-week trip traveling across the Brooks Range in northern Alaska, and she is here tonight to tell us about the trip and how to get in shape for hiking and backpacking on the trail. Sarah, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Um, first, I want to ask you, I'm dying to ask you about the Brooks Range, but let me, let's just get a little of your backstory <laughs> first. Um, so you live in Alaska currently, obviously, right? Yep, yep, I do. I, I grew up here, actually. I was born here, grew up in Alaska, left for a few years to go to college and like get a taste of the world and then pretty quickly after that came back because I like it so much up here. Yeah, it's a beautiful country. Where were you born and where do you live now? I was born in Soldatna. It's a little town on the Kenai Peninsula. And now I live in Anchorage, which is kind of the main hub town in South Central. Yep, it's like a big city, like any other big city in my experience there, except for much further north. But uh, I've had some good times in Anchorage, actually. Um, how, how, How long have you lived specifically in Anchorage? I moved to Anchorage. It's uh, a little over two years ago now. So I was living in small towns around the state before then and kind of resisting the pull of the big city. But there's a lot a lot of good stuff here, too. So I'm transitioning to the big city life. Yeah, I got sucked into Atlanta. So I, I know what you're saying. I grew up yeah. in a small town. And I understand that you uh, recently got married. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. My husband and I got married last summer, and he was one of the big pulls over to Anchorage. He's been living in Anchorage uh, since high school, and and so we we tried long distance for a while when I was living in remote Alaska, and then he pulled me over into town, and it's been working out just fine. Yeah, is he, is he a diehard backpacker? Yeah, yeah, he is. He, he really likes to spend his time outside um, backpacking or boating or biking. He, he'll do it all. Okay, awesome. And we're going to talk about, you know, your fitness training here in a bit, but I, I, uh, 
I got some other things I want to ask you first. Uh, is is your husband in 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 as good a shape as you? Because you're obviously in great shape. Shape. You do this professionally. Um, I can tell you, my wife can run circles around me. So I'm just curious how he he compares to your fitness <laughs> level. You know, Luke is a super strong person. He's a very talented athlete, and and so you know we we kind of go back and forth on like whether we're in peak fitness shape or, or when we're in like some other phase of things, but, but he's in general, pretty hard to keep up with. <laughs> he's one of my incentives to do my own training because I have to, yeah, I have to be in pretty good shape in, to keep up with him. Awesome. Now, did you guys meet doing outdoor sports or did you meet uh, other ways? Yeah, we did. We met through one of the, um, the kind of wilderness challenges up here. That's called the Alaska mountain wilderness classic. And he had been doing that for quite a while and I was uh, new to it and tempted to figure out how to make it happen. And so I reached out to him for some advice and uh, one thing led to another. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. And I see that you celebrated your first anniversary on a trip in the Brooks Range. Is it, do I have that right? Yeah, we, we have been, so we've been doing these long, like three week or so trips in the Brooks Range for the last few years now. And last summer we did a three week trip that finished one week before our wedding. So we like did like a pre-wedding trip. And this year we did kind of an anniversary trip to a different area. Um, It's just such a nice way for us to connect to each other and to like what um, feels like it really matters in our lives when we're outside. So it's been a good thing for us. Yeah. The, so the Brooks range is one place that I have not been in Northern Alaska. I've done um, a, a few backpacking trips there. One of my favorites was the Chilkut uh, trail, but i um, very mm-hmm. curious to ask you, was this, you've done multiple trips in the Brooks range. It sounds like, right? Yeah. Okay. And this last one, yeah. what, where exactly did you start and finish on this last one? Well, so typically when we're traveling through the Brooks Range, we'll do a, like a traverse with uh, starting in like one place and trying to finish at maybe one of the villages that's off the road system. Um, but because this year we've got COVID going on and um, the villages in particular in Alaska are pretty high risk for COVID because they don't have um, they don't have hospitals there, you know, not a lot of medical supplies and um, the native population is really concerned about um, keeping COVID out and protecting their ancestors um, and their, their elders. Um, So we wanted to, we wanted to stay out of villages this summer and do, um, so what we ended up doing was a loop off of the hall road, which is the big road that goes um, north to Prudhoe Bay. We started at a, a point that's like a little bit south of the big pass, Adigan Pass, and we headed um, east into the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And Anwar. we like, yeah, we yeah. headed east into there and did like a, a kind of a loop-de-loop and then wrapped back around up north to the um, to the North Slope, the coast, and finished at Prudhoe Bay. So, so from Prudhoe Bay, you're probably able to get a plane out of there pretty easily. From from both points, are you going in on some kind of bush plane or some sort of seaplane? Is that how you're getting to the start and finish? The this one was all road, so we drove north from Anchorage. It took like a day and a half to drive north to our starting point, and we had another group of friends who were doing a 
starting a trip around the same area and they had an extra car there that they had left behind. So we were able to borrow their car and use that to shuttle ours to Dead Horse at, at Prudhoe Bay. Okay. Left our car there and then borrowed theirs to get to our starting point. Yeah. So that, this one was all car supported. Yeah, awesome. Because that probably sa- it saves you a ton of money, I'm sure, when you're not getting a bush plane. Yeah, yeah. And these friends, they had a um, they had a food drop going in, um, and so we got in on their food drop too. So that was another nice uh, money saver for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you say yeah. food drop, the, the, are the food drops typically done through a bush plane, or how are they set up normally? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yep, we contacted the one bush pilot that's up there this summer flying. Like, because of COVID, a lot of the local resources aren't happening this summer. So there's like this one guy up there flying, and so we were able to split a flight with them and um, put a bunch of food on it, so we didn't have to carry a full three weeks. Yeah, the whole time that'd be tough. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, and, and you guys were doing a combination of backpacking and pack rafting, uh, as I understand. Do you want to talk about the pack rafting part? Because I, I think that's fascinating. Actually, it's one thing I've never done. Yeah, the pack rafting element to these trips it it's so cool. It's um, having a a little boat in your backpack. You know, it like opens up so much potential for where we can go, especially in, um, in Alaska where there's not that many trails and the Brooks Range in, in particular is just like, there's a lot of great places to go hiking. You know, the terrain is pretty manageable and there's a lot of pretty decent travel up there, but there are also all these rivers that you come across that right. uh, are pretty hard to get across if you're trying to like traverse. Um, and they also often go in the direction you want to go to, and it can be so nice to be able to throw everything in your boat and float for a few days and make a bunch of miles and rest your feet for a little while and yeah, yeah. just change things up a bit. Yeah, give you a nice little break from having something on your back. What it, Now, when you carry a pack raft, because I assume you carried the pack raft for the whole three-week period, mm-hmm. is that is that accurate? We, so we, the first leg of our trip for the first like five, six days, I think it was until we got to the food drop. Um, we only had one big major river crossing in that section. So we flew two of our boats out in the food drop and we brought one along to do the river crossing with, and we doubled up in that boat to get everybody across. Okay. So, I mean, that's got to save you a ton of weight on your back. When, you, when you're carrying a pack raft, what does that do to your weight? Like, what does it go from with a backpack to a pack raft? It is like a, it's like a 10-pound penalty with that boat, maybe a little more depending on, because you've got the boat and a life jacket and a paddle, and a, we bring either dry suits or rain gear depending on how technical the water is. Um, so, yeah, it's it's somewhere in like the 10 pound ballpark which is pretty significant yeah that's actually not as bad as i would have thought i was going to expect more like maybe 15 to even 18 pounds so um yeah that's interesting do you want to talk about the brooks range for a minute because i mean I'm, I'm familiar but i don't know if all the listeners are um you know, very far north beautiful lots of tundra hiking it looks like um what, what else can you tell us yeah yeah so the brooks range is this Um, mountain range that spans kind of the whole northern section of Alaska Um, and it's the it's the last mountain range that um, it's the northernmost mountain range (laughs) the the north of that it's all um, what's called we call the north slope which is where the caribou 
um, breed and um, also where a bunch of oil exploration and drilling happens. Um, so it is this like, because it's so far north, it's like um, above where trees really can grow. There's a little bit of brush and, and more and more brush now as uh, climate change happens, but there really is quite a bit of terrain that's like just like nice uh, tundra walking even if when you're on the valley floors and lots of um, gravel bar rivers that are also really good for for walking and there the mountains are um, they're gorgeous and it's like it's such a huge swath of land um, like someone would know like I'm sure it's the size of a couple of different states combined but I don't yeah. know what the how to combine how to compare that but it's huge and there's really not much not many um there's no roads there's the one hall road that we drove up that splits the state in half like right and left um but other than that there's really no roads there's just a couple native villages out there and so it's um really incredible for traveling through like beautiful country and um having it like feeling like you have it all to yourself, it's like you and the plants and the animals. Yeah, and I think I think I'd heard that Anwar is um, about the size of South Carolina, but the Brooks Range goes beyond yeah. Anwar, right? Uh, a good bit past Anwar, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you have that state to compare it to. That's perfect. Uh, yeah, the Anwar is, um, or the Arctic Refuge um, is, I've been um, trying to call it. Um, I think that that's like a term that people who are working to um, protect it are trying to use. Um, sometimes we use like Anwar feels like it's just like an acronym, but it's like this beautiful refuge. Yeah. <laughs> so trying to convey that. Um, yeah. So uh, that the Arctic refuge is like the Eastern most Eastern side of it. And then there's a whole other like double that on the western side that is a split between a few different land management agencies but it's basically all public land right a lot you guys are, are blessed with plenty of public land in alaska too you mentioned wildlife earlier so, um, so I, I i'm sure you saw a lot of caribou what what's your most uh what what is the animal that you enjoy seeing the most in the backcountry Ooh, i um i really really like to see wolves yeah um, and we didn't see any wolves on this trip. They're so rare. Um, it's, it's such a treat when we get to see them. Um, but we did see caribou. Yeah. We saw, um, we saw quite a few caribou throughout the trip in little pods and a couple super curious ones that seemed like they wanted to like join up with us and, and hang out for yeah, a while. Awesome. Um, and then one really big group as we were, um, floating down out onto the, um, out to the coast we saw a group of what we thought was like maybe a couple thousand um, and they just kept coming. So I think if we would have stayed there for longer, we might've seen a lot. It seemed like a really big, big crowd. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing you're seeing the wolves cause they're following the caribou herds. Is that, is that correct? Uh -huh. That's, that's why, huh? It's possible. Yeah. I think that, that might've been true. If we uh, would have hung out longer, we might've seen some wolves straggling along waiting for the, their moment. Yeah. Super, I mean, you know, the wolf is the, in, at least in North America, right? The hardest animal to see in the wild. Are you, are you frequently seeing wolves when you're backpacking in, uh, in Alaska? 
Uh, not frequently. It is a, it is rare and it is a treat. Um, but on other on other trips in the Brooks Range, we've seen we've I think we've seen one each time. So this was this time we didn't get that lucky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and where you are, it's there. Uh, are they gray wolves? Is that correct? Oh gosh, I don't know. I huh. think so, but I I don't know. Yeah, I saw my first wolf last summer. Uh, never had seen one in the wild before, and we were uh, cooking on a grill in northern Ontario um, in, in the middle of nowhere. We've got a, a fishing cabin that's uh, surrounded by Indian land that you have to mm-hmm. drive a boat um, basically an hour from the town of 500 people to get to. But uh, this this wolf just came cruising right up to us. It was kind of spooky. We all sort of ducked into the cabin. Hmm. But, um, I think it smelled the food on the grill. And was probably a lone wolf and uh, liked what it smelled and came rolling up, but uh, never really threatened us. <laughs> but that was the first one I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. That when you see them, mm-hmm. it is pretty. It is pretty cool. But uh, this was a timber wolf, which would be, I'm sure, smaller than the wolves that you guys would mm-hmm. have in Alaska. But uh, you know, no doubt about it, it was definitely a wolf. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And on that topic, how do you protect yourself? I mean, you're in grizzly country too. I'm sure you're seeing grizzly all the time. I got to believe, right? Yeah, we we do see bears fairly frequently, brown bears and black bears. Um, and up on the northern coast, sometimes we potentially could see polar bears uh, also. But wow, that's cool. In general, the bears up in that area. Um, you know, there's relatively few humans compared to um, other parts of the U.S. So, so we're pretty lucky that they're not they're not habituated to human food in the same way that bears who are around humans are. Uh, so I think we can we don't we have like quite a few less scary bear encounters because of that. Yeah, that would so, make sense. Yeah, so we carry you know. We carry bear spray. Um, each of us has bear spray on hand, and then we also have some. We've been carrying pocket flares to be able to make a loud noise hmm. if um, we have a, a bear that would be like extra curious. Okay. But in general, we're just trying to like um, always keep our eyes out. Um, when we go through brush, we're trying to make lots of noise, um, and then uh, like trying to keep all of our fragrant stuff close by and just make sure the bears know that we're coming and then oh and then we pay attention to wind direction when we see bears too so that they can get our scent and we've had a lot of luck with as long as like bears get our scent they tend to run off yeah okay um you know and and when i've done my alaska trips we were kind of told by the rangers to do the triangular campsite where you cook one area you camp the other and you store your food in a third place i mean is that is that standard procedure for you or is it, it you're you know i'm just curious because we were in national parks it may not be mm-hmm. depending on where you are it may not be as critical but is that something you guys typically mm-hmm. do yeah that's what i was taught in national parks as well it's we we've been um we've been instead keeping everything close with us so when we're out on a long traverse and we're carrying everything and we don't have a way to get a rescue in if something were to happen to our food. We feel like um, like the risk-benefit-risk-reward ratio like for losing our food to an animal is problematic enough that it's worth keeping the food close to us. And 
um, just being vigilant if we hear any sounds trying to scare a bear off, which actually has never happened, knock on wood. But, uh. um, yeah, so that's that's our strategy. Yeah, so, I mean, have you ever, you've never lost food, it doesn't sound like. What would you do, though, if you'd lost food? I mean, yeah, how, we, I mean you'd be, you're, how long, first of all, how long is the distance of this last trip? Uh, this was uh, 350 miles. Wow. So if you lost food in the middle of that trip, you'd be in, you'd be in bad, in a bad situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. This one, this one, we could have like floated out an earlier river if we needed to. Um, we had some like escape routes back to the road. If we, if we, something like that came about, um, you know, we'd go into rationing and, um, and you know, at some point we, we could potentially, uh, like send a text to the flight service and see if they could get in and pick you up too. Okay. But, okay. Um, that's a good point. I yeah. That's something I never thought about, but are you carrying a satellite phone when you're, uh, when you're in this back country? Carrying a, an inReach. Okay. So Explain that. So we have that, that. satellite I'm, texting. Okay. So it's not a, you're not making a call. You're just doing a text. It's probably a lot cheaper. Yeah. I, would, I would imagine. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite a bit cheaper on a monthly basis. And I think it's like a, either you pay for a certain amount for like unlimited text or, or you can pay like a dollar for each text. Okay. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty reasonable. And it's a nice, they're pretty small and they hold a charge for the whole time we're out there. So that's been a really nice communication backup tool for us. Yeah. And it's two way communication, right? Somebody can text back to you. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, and that seems to be really helpful when, um, when there is something going on to be able to talk back and forth yeah. instead of just sending out a point the way a spot would. Yeah. Imagine, you know, um, and I've done a lot of float trips. I love float trips on a kayak and there's a lot of great rivers here in the South, but, um, you know, you roll them sometimes and every, you know, if you don't have stuff secured, it, it, it can float away. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that issue? Mm -hmm. You have with food? Well, no, no, I haven't. I, I can imagine that happening. I have the, the pack rafts have a zipper in the tube so that you put all of your gear inside the boat, which is awesome. The earlier models didn't have that. So we were like strapping backpacks onto the outside and, and I heard quite a few stories of things happening like you, like you described, yeah, yeah. but, but the way they are now, it's so slick. It's, this waterproof zipper and you just throw everything inside and keep a little like dry bag up top for what you need for the day. And then everything else is tucked away and it's real secure. And it's also the boat is extra stable because it has the weight inside it. Right. Okay. Really nice. In, in our earlier years, uh, we entrusted a couple to carry all our food and, uh, they rolled and they lost all the food except <laughs> for a package of buns and some mustard. And so no um, that, that that was our meal for like a, a 24, 36 hour period was us sharing buns oh and mustard. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, wow. So So when you're this far north, it's summertime. I mean, obviously if it was winter, you'd probably have a better chance of seeing the northern lights, but are you, are you getting northern light displays? Well, it's, there's light up probably the whole time, right? It's, no, yeah, it's the opposite. It's light all the time. It was we were wearing sunglasses to bed. It was oh, like so much sun. Um, yeah, and then actually a couple for for the section of the trip. It was like four days where we were floating north um, up to the Arctic coast, and there was this headwind coming coming at us, like blowing off the ocean, 
Um, and so it was, and the river we, was on, we were on had very, it was pretty low water. It had very little flow to it. So it just felt like we weren't making any, any progress against this headwind. And so we rec- we realized that the headwind was dying down at about 10 PM. So we just we ended up flipping our days and nights cause it was sunlight the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and like getting out of the tent at like eight or nine at night and starting paddling at 10 and wow. floating all night long. And then, That's <laughs> and then pretty wild. To sleep during the day. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was pretty cool. So I'm guessing the sun just skims the horizon, basically, just barely touches the horizon and comes right back up? Yep. Yeah, that was actually really fun to just watch because we were floating right into the sun. It was right north, right ahead of us, and it would dip down, and it would still stay. It was it was a little ways above the horizon. It wouldn't touch down. Wow. Um, it, would, it would dip a little low, and it would start to get kind of cold, and then around, like, 2 or 3 a.m. it would start to curve back up and noticeably get warmer and um yeah pretty cool really yep. unique now how far <laughs> how far north are you of the arctic circle in in this area that you uh that you went on your high, or your trip good good question so we passed the arctic circle on our drive to our starting point and then we still had another maybe eight hours of drive to go to the, where we ended, where we left our car at. So you're yeah, up there. what would that be? That's a few hundred miles yeah. north of the Arctic Circle. Yeah, you're, yeah. De- you're definitely up there. That's interesting. Now, yeah. obviously that, that far north, any animal or insect has got a very short period of time to make the best of it. Um, I noticed a lot of mosquitoes on you in a couple of your photos, <laughs> but you, can you comment on the mosquito factor? Yeah, the mosquitoes are a major factor. They um, and and the Brooks Range is kind of infamous for its mosquitoes, and and um, so so we have been we've been doing these trips in early July, early June, like trying to hit early spring as much as possible to kind of beat the mosquitoes. There's this little early spring window before they've all hatched, <laughs> um, but this. Spring, it seemed like everything melted out a little earlier, and so when we were starting our trip, the mosquitoes were already quite bad, and um, we were pretty nervous there those first few days because they they were they're pretty uh, like crazy making almost when there's so so many like buzzing around your ears and attacking you that it um, it's a little hard to to not be really impacted by them mentally it, it, it makes you nuts is what it does i've been it's, there yeah it, yeah a couple yeah, times in alaska and in northern yeah. canada yep i know what yeah. you're saying so yeah. i mean you have any strategies that you use to kind of deal with them i know that there's there's a certain point where there's only so much you can do but there i guess there's some ways you can kind of minimize the impact right yeah we um i like I have a head net that I like a lot and I wear a ball cap underneath it. So it stays away from my face. Um, and then, you know, gloves and long sleeves and try and a hood to, so I'm like trying to cover every little bit of skin and when it's hot, that's pretty hard to do. But, um, I like my Houdini a lot for it's bug proof and fairly light weight layer. And it's a little, it's kind of hard for us up, 
here to figure out like a bug proof layer. Um, like I think other places would maybe you'd wear a lightweight bug shirt or something like that. Mm -hmm. But we're trying not to bring a bunch of extra clothes along for weight saving and everything we need. Like we want it to be like potentially keep us warm too when temperatures drop. So um, anyways, I've been glad that the Houdini works. Um, and then you, we, I mean, we use straight up DEET too for desperate times. I, I'm kind of scared of DEET in general, but um, yeah. I use it when I need it. It yeah. really helps. 100% DEET does get it done to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now when you say Houdini, is it like a, it's got a hood basically. Is that why they call it that? Uh, I think they call it that. It's a Patagonia layer. It's like a wind shirt. Okay. I got you. And it's, I think they call it a Houdini because it, it packs down to a super small and doesn't weigh much. So it's like, it almost disappears. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, yeah. What, I know what doesn't work is wearing a uh, poly pro because I've had those, those little bastards bite through that. No problem. That does they not face everything. Them. That does not face them in yeah. the least. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, about all you can do is uh, everything you said and then try to find a breezy area to put your campsite up, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. I've suffered through some insects in my day. With with that being said, um, you know, when's the best time to go? Bugs and weather and and all that. When when like is it September? September? I imagine it's very cold. Is it is it August? Like yeah, I I personally have had the best luck with with early um, and and starting a trip like mid June has been kind of a sweet spot. Though this year, if I could redo it, we would start a, like first week of June, go a little earlier. Um, it's you know it's hard to kind of predict when everything's going to thaw out, with how much things are changing in the world these days. But um, but that seems to be like this nice sunny window before the bugs get bad. Mm -hmm. so, and and yeah, I think uh, September can also be really nice up there. But you probably get some snow, so. Um, I think the, yeah, the colors are gorgeous up there. Fall colors and the tundra is, is amazing, but you'd, you'd be in slightly different weather potentially. Yeah. You get a lot of that crimson and kind of, uh, blood reddish sort of tundra look. Oh right? my gosh. Isn't that pretty? I mean, yeah, it's, it's so, so unique. Nice. It's, it's so, so unique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear you there. Yeah. And I, and I saw on your blog too, that you guys did some swimming and maybe even skinny dipping in some of the lakes. I, what is the temperature of those lakes? That sounds cold. I cannot imagine how cold those lakes must be. Yeah, there was this one that I was like, I could see it on the map that we were coming up on this lake, and I, it was a hot, buggy day, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to swim in that lake. And we came around to the corner to it, and it was like it was all iced over. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, so I didn't swim in that one, but the um, – the ones we did swim in, I, you know, it's hard to say. It feels real cold for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, bet. I think that they're probably haven't been melted out for very long. Um, but I like, if you, if you can just get through that initial like gasp of cold, there's nothing like a cold swim after you've been hiking, in my opinion. It's yeah. So refreshing. Yeah. When you're all sweaty and nasty and dirty, but I mean, is this like an in and yeah. out? You're, you're literally in and two minutes later you're running out or could you actually stay in for 10 minutes? Uh, 10 minutes. I don't think I stayed in for 10 minutes ever. They, I might've stayed in, there was one lake that we camped by that had a really nice lake that seemed like it had maybe gotten some solar heat and it was at a temperature that was pretty comfortable once you 
kind of got it and acclimatized. So I might have been in that one for 10 minutes, but most of most of these are just like river dips. Like we find a really pretty pool as we're hiking by and it just looks so nice and it's a great way to take a break and get a refresh. Yeah, yeah. And um and and I'm also curious to ask you about the um you don't have any thermal features features there, right? So there's no like uh, backcountry hot tubs or anything like that. I mean, I, the northern part of Alaska, it's not like a Yellowstone. Is is that accurate? I um, there are some hot springs tucked okay. in hmm. in different places, and and on the other trip in the Arctic Refuge that we did in 2017, we that was one of the we heard about a hot springs and we were that was one of our destinations. Um, but they're, they're not really like, that was like a word of mouth. We heard that some friends had gone out there, so they're not really like, publicly marked or, or anything. So I, we, we actually smelled some sulfur on one of the valleys that we hiked past on this trip and we're regretting not having like checked around to see if there maybe were some hot springs in that area. Um, so Hmm, okay. I think there are some, but yeah, yeah, pretty under the radar. Yeah, now I'm guessing you're not really running into anybody in in this backcountry. Is that is that accurate? Do you run into the like random trapper or the random villager that's out hunting or anything, or are you pretty much seeing no one? This trip, we saw two. We were we didn't see anybody until we got to one river. The Canning River had has some had some float trips on it. We saw maybe two or three different parties of people that were floating on that river. And, um, and then we left that river and we didn't see anybody else the rest of the trip. Hmm, wow. Yeah. That's what I would expect actually. And when you get into the villages and it sounds like there is some level of resupply in the villages uh, under normal times, is that, is that accurate mm-hmm. or, or are they not really yeah. set up for resupply? They, they have, um, they have posts, like you USPS service into the villages. So, uh, okay. so often we could get a resupply, um, by mailing ourselves, um, food in, to general delivery. And, um, yeah, in one of the villages. Okay. And are these generally Athabascan, uh, uh, villages or are they, um, a mix or, or, you know, can you describe a typical village? I imagine a lot of them are on the water somewhere. Yeah, it's uh there's a bunch of different native groups um even in the Brooks Range um the Gwich'in are over toward the um in more of the Arctic Refuge area and the Inupiat further uh, west and a bunch of different subgroups and all that um but a you know they they almost all are on some sort of water source like they're using boats to get around because um, there aren't really roads. Um, yeah, boats in the summer and then snow machines in the winter to get between their villages and, like, hunting camps, fishing camps. Right. Um, yeah, and a village is, you know, they're fairly small, like maybe 40 to three or 400 people would live in a little in maybe a typical village and um, mostly native Alaskan people. And there's usually a school. Most villages have a school um, as kind of like a village hub. And um, 
it's a great place to get water and and depending on on like who you run into when you stop into town um you might get a chance to like meet some people and like I one of some of my favorite ex- interactions in um in villages are when you run into someone who is like um excited that you just traveled through some of the country that's really special to them, you know, and we oh, can yeah. kind of bond over sure. a shared appreciation for the land and um maybe they'll share some of their um like the food that they got from the land, which is always really um yeah, really special. Yeah, do they now do the villagers I mean obviously probably a lot of subsistence living. Do they generate any income at all from tourism or um there're just not enough people to they come through the area for them to have any tourist trade at all. Like, does that, does that benefit them at all? And, in, in, in the ways maybe of some of the towns further South in Alaska? Yeah. The, uh, the villages that are off the road system, I, there, there's a, maybe a little bit of tourism as far as like, um, maybe some hunting businesses that operate out of, out of some of those places. Hmm. Um, in general, tourism is not a big industry yeah, okay. up there. But I mean, it sounds like that your experiences have generally been, um, that they're pretty welcoming when you, when you come into the villages, it sounds like. Yeah. It, um, I think if you are like humble and, uh, aware that like you're on their land and, uh, can show that we're grateful for that and, um, I, people have mixed experiences when, when they, um, I've heard of some mixed stories of people coming in with kind of a different attitude and, hmm. and that being not appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> right can imagine. So, um, but because it like, there's some kind of, um, protectiveness, I think about, um, their, this area. Yeah, sure. But in gen- in general, I think, yeah. Seen that in, uh, in Northern Ontario too. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, just to ask you a, a couple final questions and then we can talk about training. Cause obviously you gotta be in shape to, uh, to do a trip like this and you've done a few of them. Um, you want to talk about like just one of the toughest days you've ever had in the, in the Brooks range? Uh, I, you know, I can't, um, I can't think much beyond this last trip. <laughs> so I'll tell you one of the toughest days that I had on this trip, um, because this is also current and, and, um, I don't know if it's true for you, but like the hard stuff seems to kind of fade away with time. Yeah. Um, in my memory. Accurate. (laughs) So the one, yeah, the one that feels the most, uh, like the hardest this time was, um, just a couple days after summer solstice. It was maybe the day after summer solstice. We, um, woke up, to like an inch of snow on the ground. Wow. <laughs> and it had been like raining over the night and we could hear the rain on our tent and then it sort of started to, tur- to change sound and it, we were like, what is, that doesn't sound like rain anymore. And then uh, I think that might be snow. And then like when we finally, it was an open tent in the morning, everything was white. Wow. Um, what, what, and, are, what are we talking here? An inch, two inches? Like how much did you get? Yeah, something like that. Somewhere okay. between an inch and two inches. That, that would um, that would shut down the city of Atlanta. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not that abnormal in the um, in the Brooks Range in the summer, but it definitely caught me off guard. And and we're we're like fairly minimal with our 
gear and clothes. So, um, like trying to travel on that day. And that was one of the days that we were transitioning from hiking to pack rafting. Ah. Um, and one of the downsides about pack rafting is that you're not, it's a little harder to stay warm. <laughs> so oh, I can imagine. So yeah, the rest of that day was just like, I was wearing every single piece of clothing that I had along, including my dry suit and, um, really trying to like paddle to stay warm, to, to keep enough heat going. Um, and then the, the kind of sleet rain, it was like turned into like a mix of rain and snow that kept coming for the rest of the day and fighting the cold and trying to stay like, um, making forward progress down the river felt like a pretty big battle. <laughs> That's that sounds um, like a tough day. You don't get those kind of days in Georgia very often, uh, Sarah. I'll tell you that for sure. I think it's yeah, pretty different. <laughs> pretty different battle down there, isn't it? Yes, it is. He, you got to deal with the humidity, yeah. but certainly not that. What What about a time where you laughed uh, in the Brooks Range that really hard about something? Could you Can you share that? Oh my gosh, I'll share this this experience that we had with. Um, we were walking along this um, hillside. Um, kind of wrapping around the base of a mountain and uh, we saw this like couple lumps of dirt up ahead looked like, like kind of strung out along the slope and I was pretty sure they were just lumps of dirt and but they looked a little weird we got a little closer to them and then uh, my husband Luke was like I think that's a bear oh <laughs> so, sounds like a grizzly so or brown he made a little bit of noise yeah he like shouted and 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 yeah, this bear was laying on its back, sprawled out up the slope with like its feet down slope and its head up slope, just like it was. So so it was laying on its back, belly up into the sun. I've never seen a bear passed out quite like that before. Yeah. And it popped its head up when it heard us, and it looked to the right, looked to the left, and then came back to center and plopped its head back down. That's <laughs> and it funny. was, it was such a human, it seemed really human. It was, it like seemed like it was like deep asleep, like something, it thought it heard something like looked around, was like, nah, nah, I <laughs> didn't hear anything. And like went back to sleep. Uh. So we, we had to make a bunch more noise and, and get it like actually awake and able to tell that it was us. And then it ran right off um but we were i was laughing so hard at, at what a uh, character that bear <laughs> was yeah i'm guessing it probably does not see too many humans uh where you were so it was a little probably a little <laughs> baffled thinking it was having a dream or something i think it was i think it was like ah that's just a dream Meh. back to sleep <laughs> yeah right all right, so you obviously have to be in shape to uh, backpack and pack raft in the Brooks Range. So let, let's move on to uh, fitness, which is uh, very important if you're going to spend time hiking and backpacking. Um, what, what, uh, what, first of all, do you want to tell us about your website and maybe some of the services you offer? Yeah, sure. I, um, I'd love to. So I have... Um, I've transitioned. So basically I started, uh, I was running a gym for a little while and, and teaching some of these functional fitness classes 
to people in person and recognize that the things that we were practicing in these classes were helping me personally a ton for my outdoor time. And um, I started to think like, oh, this is like, this is what like all the people in my circle <laughs> need to be doing to get ourselves out there and have more fun instead of like suffering all the time. That's what I um, need to be doing, Sarah. Let me tell you yeah. that right now. <laughs> it's just, it's so hard to really enjoy your time outside when your body is tired. So, um, or, you know, if you get injured, then you don't even get to do the outdoor time. <laughs> so, um, so, and then the other thing that, was happening when I was um, teaching in-person classes was that I would like leave for a trip and then everybody who was training with me would not be able to keep training. You know, they, all their training kept being interrupted because I was always liking to go out and do my trips. So I started to think that the online model for, for this kind of training might work quite well. And so a, few, a couple of years ago when I moved over to Anchorage to live with my now husband, um, I transitioned all of my classes to, uh, to online and to videos. So I have these six-week training sessions that start up basically about every six weeks um, where I give people videos to do three times a week that are functional fitness to do in your living room and help build the strength and stability and um, prevent injuries for people who want to be outside. You you picked the perfect time to be doing this, by the way, Sarah. With the uh, <laughs> with the current COVID <laughs> epidemic and gyms being shut down, the, the timing is ripe for what you're doing. That's for sure. <laughs> I know it. It's. Uh, I mean, it is fortunate that I. I kind of uh, worked through all the kinks of getting an online program up pre-COVID and, and now have it running pretty smoothly. Um, we're still doing, like I'm still filming it in my living room with kind of a DIY setup here, but we've been able to up the quality of things over the years and I'm pretty happy with, with the product by now. So yeah, it, and it's, and it's working out. Um, it is helping support people during this time when they can't go to gyms. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a question I had for you is um, in terms of a backpacker, What's the biggest mistake they make in terms of training, and what tips do you have for them? Yeah, well, I so typically the the backpackers that I talk to in general, um, I would say the biggest mistake that they make is that they think that what they need to do to be in shape for backpacking is to is to go hiking, just to get out and do more hiking, um, and and hiking and backpacking itself is a great tool you know it's one of the pieces to train for backpacking but the thing that you miss when you're just doing your sport <laughs> is you you miss all of the stability work and the like the lateral movement and the core strength and and you also um, aren't able to to break up any of your like funky movement patterns you know if you're like if you have a an imbalance in your body, it's not going to get fixed by doing more backpacking. You have to kind of step it back and attend to it in, in like a more broken down way. <laughs> so that's what I would say is the biggest mistake I see in all our outdoorsy people is that like they just want to do their sport more. Yeah. <laughs> and that sure. can get us in trouble. Yeah. You know, what was interesting, uh, Sarah, to share it with you. I spent uh, six months on the Appalachian trail 
in the 90s and I, you know I was in the best shape of my life I was on a mission to basically come home and stay in shape and I went for a three mile run two days after I finished and I, I hurt like hell I, I it was interesting mm-hmm. how like the muscles you use for backpacking are so different than, mm-hmm. than uh, running and that like you know running will probably get you in shape for cardiovascular but not necessarily for backpacking so um I mean I how do you how do you train for that in some of your classes, I guess, is the, is the question. Yeah, they, I, you're exactly right that like what our body needs us to do for each of the different elements of a trip is really specific and different. Um, so what, what my training is, 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 um, it's body weight training and it's, it's functional fitness. So, we're moving through all the different planes of motion and attending to different muscle groups um, through squats and lunges and um, planks and all sorts of different um, upper body work and strengthening your upper back so it can hold your backpack up over time. Um, And then the thing that I feel like um, is unique to the that I've put in that help it, this stuff apply to outdoors work specifically is we work with um, a couple tools to add some instability to the like your lunges and your squats and things. So we put like a like a sort of slippery gliding disc under one of your feet so that you can play around with um, having stability in your body even when one of your foot one of your feet is trying to get away (laughs) and it sort of simulates um, it's this chance to practice recovering from like a slip or um, being on less than stable footing. Um, We practice it in like sort of a stable environment. It's like a stepping stone toward, um, you know, when we're outside, we need that stability to already be there. So when we're inside, we get to develop it in the body in a, sort of controlled way you know I, I i read outside and backpacker magazine all the time and i see i see the articles about this and the the diagrams of what you just described frequently and i usually just skip past them and go straight to the articles so it's interesting that you uh you say that because that they constantly are pushing some kind of training like that what um what's the most common injury that that you see in hikers and backpackers what i commonly see is uh overuse injuries of some sort um, and and that'll show up a little differently in different people depending on which body part they're kind of um, overusing Um, but like Achilles is a really common one Um, knee tendonitis is another common one or some people it'll be in their hip or some people it'll be in their wrist or their elbow you know if they're like really wrenching on trekking poles so that would be me that's you huh (laughs) probably Gosh, trekking poles are so good, but uh, you do kind of have to train for them. Yeah, yeah. What are other mistakes on that topic that uh, that backpackers typically make? On on the um, like when they're outside that would lead yeah. to injury. Well, when they're hiking or backpacking, like other mistakes they make. Maybe they're not using their hiking poles correctly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe they're trying to go out there cold without. Um, you know, any preparation whatsoever, which would actually describe most of well, the, most of the younger AT through hikers, right? Yeah. You, can, you can get away with it when you're younger. 
You um, can, I know. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's one of the things that hits us. <laughs> some, at some point in your life, you realize that off the couch isn't working quite as well. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's a, that is a super common one. Um, and other than that, I would say, um, that, well, the tre- trekking poles is actually one of the one of the common mistakes that I that I see where people feel like it's like they're too cool for trekking poles. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> There's a stage. So, so you're you're a fan. And, you encourage them. I'm, I'm a big fan. Okay. Yeah, I feel like right. they really help distribute the weight. Yeah, I agree. And take the load off of our knees and ankles and the things that wear out the fastest typically. Yeah. Plus, it's really um, fun and- to poke the guy in front of you with a stick too. <laughs> yeah gosh especially with a backpack it just it's especially with the heavy pack it's it's they're so helpful they um especially for downhill yeah that's yeah that's another one i would mention too is that i think people typically think that um that uphill is going to be the hard part so you kind of mentally prepare for like climbing a hill um but the like typically the damage that happens to your bodies or your, your falling tends to happen when you're going downhill. I agree. And so we can get kind of like almost like mentally lazy on the downhill, you know, cause you're like, cool. I did the hard part. Like this part's the easy cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like get distracted. And then that's when the slips and the, um, and the like cranking down, like landing super hard, even just if you're like when you're walking down, you putting a lot of impact on your joints. Um, so that would be, that's a pretty easy fix if you, it's just like an attention thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially as you get older. So that brings me to a question I had for you. Um, you hit your forties, your fifties or sixties. How, how should you train differently for a backpacking trip? I mean, it, I, I did the Appalachian trail when I was 26 and, um, you know, I, all I had to really do was just slow down. I did no training whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I just hiked, hiked, at the pace that my body was comfortable with and it quickly responded. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if a 40 or 50, 60 year old can do that as much. What, what do you suggest, uh, for those age groups? For Yeah. Well, exactly what you're saying. I think it's a lot of attentiveness to your body and recognizing that, um, you're at a different season of life now. And I think one of the tricky parts to being an active person throughout a lifespan is that, we kind of remember ourselves at our peak and think that like that that's like if we do that then like we'll get the same result but it's really it's real different as we, as we get older so like trying to remember that you're like trying to learn where your body is really at right now and what it's capable of um is is super important and and then like for the physical training part i um i do think that getting some strength training in um, to supplement your outdoor time gets more and more important as you age. And especially as like the joints start to really notice the, um, the impacts of, of long days outside, um, finding like whatever level your body can handle of, of training to build up the strength without overdoing the, the, um, the work of the knees and ankles um you got to find some way to to build up that muscular strength so that that might even mean like like leg lifts that like are um just for quads to get build your quads up without using your knees at all but hopefully at some point you're able to do some squats and and some lunges and some more um like functional moves um in 
in I think an indoor environment is the is a place for that. Build that up so that like when you're ready to go outside, your body has some a base built and and can um, can rise to the challenge instead of getting injured and having another setback. Yeah, would you have a different set of exercises? I mean, you you know, f- to classify three groups, right? You got the the folks that maybe just go out for a weekend. They're out for two, three days. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you got somebody that's knocking off a section of a, a, a longer trail. Maybe they're out for forty or fifty miles. You know, you just did three fifty, which is pretty far. That's almost like borderline through hike of, of some of the smaller trails. But then you also have your long distance, one thousand, mm-hmm. two thousand mile hikers. Like how how like how would you customize a training program different for each section there? So I, I basically treat every, I'll treat all those different categories the same for this foundation building phase. So, so everybody, like whether you're a weekend warrior or you're doing a big hike, like, um, like a big trip, like I just did or, or something in between, like you, we all need the same level of functionality in our, body and we actually all need the same strength for a day out it's just the people who are doing those for like um multiple days or three weeks or whatever like you need that you then need endurance and um especially endurance for your tendons your ability to like recover quickly from each day so you can get up the next day and do it again but the strength base is actually real similar across the board so um I'd put everybody on the same program. And then if for those who are for for this cross training piece that I'm working with you on, and then I, um, I'd add in for people who are training for more than like their weekend or their evening recreation time, then we add in a, a bunch of like the hiking time. That's, that's really how you build the endurance is, is getting out there and doing some long days or long weekends or, even like a short, like three day trip is a great training window for your, for the tendons. Yeah. For your longer hike. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And and I mean, obviously women, men and women are built a little differently. Um, how do you, how do you train differently if you're a man versus a woman? Like, uh, how do you configure the programs differently based on the sex? I basically, um, I basically let people make their own decisions based on um, I so summer strong is what my the name of my summer program is that is a group program and everyone is getting the same workouts and then I I provide a bunch of coaching to help people decide what level they need to hit the workout at each day and um, what I would say on the like gender continuum is that like People who, um, especially people who are menstruating, um, tend to have a pretty different training um, arc throughout the month, and that's really helpful to pay attention to as you're working through a program so that, like, there's part of the month, like, when we're um, in, like, the follicular and the ovulatory phase where it's really good to go hard and, like, push your body. The body's got lots of capacity during that phase. But then as we like move to the second half of the month and, and start to move toward menstruation, then it's a, it's a good time to be a little gentler of your body and ask a little less um, to help it recover. So that's, that's the big gender difference from my perspective. Okay, that's interesting. I had not thought of that before. What about kids? I mean, 
You're seeing more and more kids uh, get in the backcountry these days. You've got Buddy Backpacker, who's a triple crowner. And, yeah. I mean, well, he's not driving yet, right? So um, <laughs> any suggestions for kids, or are they so young that they can – well, I guess, first of all, you can't put too much weight on them, obviously. They, they have to be proportional <laughs> to their size, but, like, in terms of just being in physical shape. Yeah, isn't it so cool The kids are getting out and, and getting into that? I, I feel like the the more we can get – all ages out the better um and and for kids i uh i my emphasis is is always on fun like i don't think we want any of the physical stuff we do with kids to to feel like work um because we we want to promote enjoying it and and that's what keeps us wanting to do it more um over the lifespan so and honestly i think that applies to adults too i really think incorporating fun into our workouts is is really helpful for us uh, for follow-through as well but but on the (laughs) on the topic of kids um i do have a handful of kids that that join their parents for for these workouts um summer strong workouts and and what i tell their parents is just to let them like join when they want to step out when they feel like it like they'll be naturally attracted to parts of it. And, and I feel like that is enough at, at that stage. They're also probably just, um, they're fascinated by the video aspects of it too, right? I'm sure they're, they're yeah. eating up the technology. That's fun. That is. And some of the toys, like some of the equipment that they have, they're like, Ooh, it feels like a, like I call them toys yeah. for, for a reason. Cause it is kind of fun to add new things in. And, um, and then we always end the my workouts with a dance move. Oh, <laughs> God, they must the eat that like up. That part I'm sure. <laughs> That's awesome. My kids would love that. Um, I say this kind of half kidding, but at the same time, when I was through hiking, I saw a lot of worn out dogs. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure you don't have a dog specific training program, but can you at least speak to uh, fitness for dogs and, you know, how you gauge a dog's mm-hmm. worthiness for the trail and what maybe you can do to get them in shape other than just take mm-hmm. them out on the trail. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I did, I spent a couple winters mushing dogs, um, up here. And so I, awesome. I can kind of relate to, to, you know, a relatively limited background with that, but, but there, we did, train the dogs for for their winter racing or um or carrying sleds you know in a really similar way to the way um what my workout program right now is set up um so you know we, we would start at the and uh, we we're training for winter so we'd start in the like early fall with real short runs and they do you know like a three mile run and then you pay attention to how they recovered the next day they'd get kind of a day off and you'd see kind of see how their soreness level seemed to be. Um, and if their energy was really good, then they're ready to go for four or five miles the next time, you know, and kind of step it up bit by bit, uh, really similar to the way that you'd train a human. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think you're totally right that it's really important to pay attention to them and especially cause they can't verbally communicate. You have to be able to read, read their, their body language and um i mean hydration is the other thing that i um was thinking about when we were talking about earlier for humans because it's such a big deal but that's another huge one for dogs oh yeah and i would imagine in georgia even more so oh yeah you got that right especially you know i've got a black lab and when he gets he gets hot he just turns right around and says i'm done 
But um, yeah. So that's some good body language. Yeah, that'll <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Yeah, you see, so you've got some serious experience here, actually. I mean, I will tell you that, um, or, or I should share with you, I hiked with a lot of different dogs uh, on my through hike, and all breeds are not created equal. They all uh, mm-hmm. respond differently to, to the experience. And, you know, I think you just have to be, and I'm, I'm sure if you mush dogs, that you were super tuned into the dog's needs, but um, they do vary. Not all dogs are the same, so... Um, yeah, I think that's really right. And I, I think it's easy as like, depending on what relationship you have with your dog, sometimes I think we think that they're like invincible and can like, like that we're kind of the weak link and that the dogs can go forever. But that's at some point, again, the dog's life cycle changes too. And, and we have to kind of change our way we think of a dog, you know, they, they age quicker than we do. So yeah, we might, that's right remember them from when they were younger and and how strong they used to be but um things might change yeah agreed so you know one thing i wanted to ask you to wrap up the training um do, do the do the people that sign up for your services do they answer do they check in with you do they answer to you or you know um I, i'm not trying to make you out to be a sergeant major mitchell or anything but uh <laughs> h- how do you hold them accountable for doing the work i guess this is the question yeah, I mean accountability is such a such an interesting question, especially with online groups. Um, so the way my programs are set up is that after you you do a workout on the um, on the website, there's a place to check it off that you've done it. So we can I can go back in and see where people are at, and you can also track as a user you can track your progress through so there's like a little completion bar that bumps its way along as you do as you do more workouts um and then i do a lot because i'm I'm also a mental health counselor um and so i do a lot of work with people on self-awareness and on understanding their own um their own needs as far as follow-through goes because some people need a lot of um like somebody checking up on them and some people like react poorly to that and need some space, you know, and that feels like that's a guilt trip. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of take people through a process of establishing a follow through plan that is specific to them. Right for you. Um, That makes sense. That's, that's what I would call the Bobby Knight method. He coached different players, uh, based on their personality. So I like that. That's a good strategy. Yeah, and then in the end, it like goes back to the person because I do feel like we are in the end are in need to be responsible for our own, um, for ourselves. So we set people up with the plan, and then and then like let them really get the support they need. And then um, I also mail mail people a workout calendar, and they get to put star stickers on it each time they complete a workout, which is another one of those ways that I feel like we are just like kids, you know, we give kids star charts when they finish their chores, oh, yeah. but it's, it's actually quite effective for adults too, to the, give them the golden, star. The golden right? star. Yeah. Do you have a <laughs> nice know? big, pretty picture of the Brook range in the background just to, you know, encourage them to, uh, complete their training so they can do a, I hike? do. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Well, let me ask you some closing questions. Cause I got a few mainly about Alaska. Um, with mm. all your experience and your life in Alaska, what, what's your favorite place to uh, go backpacking in the state? Is it the Brooks Range? Because you've done a bunch of trips there. Oh, the Brooks Range is so good. It's just got so many oppor- so many places to explore, and it's um, 
it's like relatively easy walking, which is always pleasant. Um, I love the Chilkoot too. Actually, I, I uh, worked on the trail crew on the Chilkoot and, and built a lot of the structures there. Awesome. Good for you. Working there for a handful of years. So that's another one that I recommend for people who like to do through hikes on trail. Yeah, very diverse, sure. right? You got a lot of mm-hmm. different climactic zones, and um, you got all the artifacts from the from the gold miner era. I mean, it's I th- I found it fascinating. If you like history, it's it, such a cool awesome. trail. Yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah. too. Like really pretty lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, I, I always ask this question too, because it's always you know the answers are always so different, especially with you being uh, so far north in a completely different area than I'm in here in in the south. But um, what, what's your one piece of gear that you just can't go without? Uh, well, um, the one that is maybe unique um, that I pretty much never leave home without is Luco tape. Never Have heard, you heard of, of Luco tape. Never. <laughs> so Enlighten Luco me. tape, it's like it's like this fabric tape, and it has I think it has zinc in it. Huh. Um, it sticks to skin like none other okay <laughs> and it is it's the best blister prevention um tape that strategy it's it's basically replaced all of the other blister strategies that i used to have um and it sticks on your skin especially if you can get it on when you have a little heat um like the glue kind of <laughs> attaches itself to you and won't let go so it lasts for days and days and um yeah don't be home without it interesting i'll I'll definitely look into it because i've been known to get a blister from time to time um what about um can you give us uh, of all your backcountry experiences do you have like the most ultimate day and place that you've ever had in the backcountry now you you could say you just got married a year ago that'd be an easy answer i'll let you take (laughs) that one if you want that (laughs) that would be totally fair we did have a nice outdoor wedding, but that was in the front country. So oh, okay. um, I would say on this trip, there was a really cool day where we were hiking up this um, up this river valley um, called Fire Creek. And it turned out that, that Fire Creek had a bunch of canyons along it, and they were just gorgeous. And, and like, one of the cool things about these trips is that, like, we don't really know what we're going to find. We didn't know anyone that had been at Fire Creek, so we were, like, just didn't know what to expect. And discovering these canyons, I feel like we were, we were surprised to find them, and they were so pretty. And then there was this one spot along the, um, or along the creek where the canyon opened up, and we could get down into it. And we found this little swimming hole that had like a water slide oh, built nice. into it. <laughs> and then along the side of the rocks were a bunch of fossils in the wow. rocks. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. This is where exactly or uh we're talking Alaska, right? Yeah, this was this was in the very, very northern part of the of the Brooks Range this summer. It was in a piece of the one of the little mini mountain ranges that was called the Shublik. Okay. We keep coming back to the Brooks Range. It seems like that's your stomping ground here, Sarah, if I'm hearing good you stuff. right. Yeah. I yeah, can tell. Good stuff. <laughs> Do you want to plug your website and your social media pages here for the listeners? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, my website is my name. It's sarahmhistand.com. And on social media, I'm mostly on Instagram, and that's also Sarah M. Histand. 
or Instagram. Okay. And any final thoughts, a, a final takeaway for people listening? If they hear nothing else in this podcast, the one thing they should remember. <laughs> well, I'd love them to consider putting in some uh, cross-training to support their outdoor time because I think, you know, we can put a little bit of time in in our living rooms or in our backyards and it can go a long ways in the backcountry as far as enjoying our time outside and not fighting ourselves along the way and really increase the fun factor. So um, if you want to come train with me, my summer program is Summer Strong and I have a winter one that's called Ski Babes. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you. Ski Babes does not sound designed for the male crowd there, Sarah. I'm just saying. Babes come in all shapes and sizes and genders, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and unless you're pitching meeting some ski babes through this fitness program, maybe that's the uh, the <laughs> angle. I like it. Yeah, that could happen. Well, we don't want anybody to go out and pull a hammy, so uh, you know it's important that they yeah. stay in shape. I'm with you there. Um, really appreciate you being on the show tonight. Loved hearing about the Brooks Range. It's been on my list uh, for a long time. I didn't know a lot about it, but uh, really, really enjoyed hearing uh, about your experience there. So that's fun. Great having you on the show. You're the first uh, Alaskan, I think, we've had on the show that um, <laughs> has shared their uh, their their experiences. So thank you. Yeah, what a treat to talk with you. I love sharing about Alaska, and uh, yeah, it was a really fun conversation. Thank yeah, you. You know, all the Alaska shows that are on like the Discovery Channel right now, I'm just waiting for yours. I, it's it's coming. I can already see it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. <laughs> All right, well, you have a good one. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of Into Backpacking and is copyrighted by Into Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at intobackpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.